Via Hemp, let's talk about it. Via Hemp offers THC and non-TH craft cannabis experiences. Now, I love a non-THC option when it comes to your overall wellness. I'm talking sleep aid, maybe anxiety if you have that. Well, that's where Via comes into play. And did you know even a non-THC option if you're doing fertility or IVF can be helpful? Look into that. Well, Via is incredible. You got to be 21 plus. You can get 15% off with my exclusive code TSFS when you go to viahemp, V-I-I-A, hemp.com. They have all kinds of lifestyle products. And like I said, the best part is with the THC or without, so you don't have the buzzy buzzy. Don't you love my cannabis lingo? I mean, the buzzy buzzy. Anyway, I'm unique. What can I say? Look, order now. You're going to love Via Hemp. Use the code TSFS to receive 15% off and a one-time free sample of their award-winning gummies, 21 plus. That's viahemp.com and use the code TSFS at checkout. Support the show. Tell them I sent you and enhance your everyday life with Via Hemp. Summer is almost here. Don't you want to go to the beach with thicker, gorgeous, beautiful locks and everyone goes, hey, I love your hair. And you go, Nutrafol, baby. You know, something along that lines. Well, take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering my listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and you enter the promo code TSFS. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. I recommend it. I've been taking Nutrafol for years. It's how I got my hair back thicker and not falling out in chunks after I had KJ. Now it's your turn. Nutrafol has been on with me for years, and that's because you all continue to buy, and it really works. I love it. Now it's your turn to love it too. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com with the promo code T-S-F-S. That's Nutrafol.com with the promo code T-S-F-S. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by family attorney David Rubin, who specializes in difficult divorce and fighting narcissistic partners. He's amazing. You can make your free consultation appointment right now, right now at mdlaws.com. Okay, Natasha and I have a special guest, a friend of ours. You know her formerly as Danny Starr. She prefers Miss Danielle now. And she's the author of Empathy and Eyebrows. And of course, famously was the a radio co-host, reality star, and for um, a couple of years on The Kane Show on Hot 99.5. She's been a guest on this podcast before. I've been a guest on hers. And she has a huge life update, an update of being diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. It happened this summer, and she talks about how close she was to being on the verge of suicide and what changed for her. Also, some shocking revelations from her childhood that came back, and she's really open about her trauma. So here is an update from Miss Danielle. We have a ton to get to. She's back. I mean, Danielle, I was trying to think of 
God, I think I did your podcast two years ago. I mean, it's yeah, it's been a hot second. And then, you know, you were obviously on the podcast on the Sarah Fraser show, year, you know, for several times, years before that, you know, when I was in DC, all those good things. Uh, but yeah. you're here today. So many people want an update on like how you've been. And then of course, I mean, we have to t- I mean, the craziest thing is you and Natasha and I are like doing a podcast together, which we never <laughs> right? thought we'd see that day. Yeah, exactly. That day never. Long, long time coming. Long time coming. Long like time. I'm like smiling ear to ear. I'm just, I can't get over this. So the three of us are actually sitting down together, completely unfiltered. Yeah. Like no reservations, no repercussions. We're free. Yeah. Yes. Freedom. Oh my God. That's, that is the word that I'm so glad you used because I think feeling caged for so long is kind of played into the, the role that short circuited my brain. So I, I don't do caged anymore. I don't do cage. I don't do lockdown. I don't do any of that. Like I'm, I don't care if I have to do it. I won't do it. <laughs> Wait, do either one of you still love have that feeling though? We're going to get in trouble. Does anyone have no. that? Oh, you don't. Okay, good. All right. I'm the only one. Do <laughs> I do for a second. Like sometimes I'll be like, Oh, wait, do I really want to put this out there? But then then I remember, wait a minute. So I don't let me, have to let worry me, anymore. Yeah. Let me give you a little bit of a tip that helped me out. I always felt like if I got taken to court, um, I would get to say the truth and they don't want me to tell the truth, right? So I always felt like if they actually came for me and tried to tell me to stop talking and in the, in the times of like times up and me too, they don't want that. They definitely don't want that. And so um, at this point, I'm like, I, I almost, you know, black people say like, I wish you would, which means like, don't do that <laughs> shit, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I wish they would take me to court or, or try to silence me because it ain't happening. You know, it's so funny you say that because Natasha and I obviously, you know, Natasha and I reconnected about a year ago, right before I moved to Los Angeles. And you and Danielle, you know this because you and I've had many conversations about this. But, you know, I did not want to speak to Natasha for years because I just didn't even want to be in her realm knowing that Kane was still alive, like if they, if he found out, I just didn't want anything to do with Kane, like in any way, yeah. shape or form. Right. And so, yeah. you know, like when Natasha and I came back together to, for her to tell her story, I, there was like that part of me like, Oh God, are we going to get contacted by the radio station? Are we going to get, you know, and I'm just like, I felt the same way you did. I thought, they don't want the truth. They know the truth. So they, they don't want the us going to, they're not going to send a cease and desist. They know it's all true and they don't want us yeah. to all go to court and say what really they happened. Oh, we've said what's happened, no. a lot of it, but. Right. Yeah, we, we said <laughs> I it. Think, um, I want you to know that you're not alone in that. Like Nat, you know, I love you so much, but by extension, I was terrified to rekindle our friendship because um, when, so for instance, do you remember when I ordered some of your crafts for Claire for Christmas? Yes. Yeah. I, I like stood out your at your door and you gave them to me and you were like, you can come in. And I remember being like, nope, I'm good. Like, I was so terrified of the energy and not that it had anything to do with you, but the energy that you were connected to. And like at this point in my life, I don't even do narcissism, narcissism by extension. Like I'm like, oh, you got a narcissist, narcissist in your life? No, thank you. Like I, I am I'm not afraid of much. But narcissism terrifies me. And I'm still, sure it still relate. does. Oh, my right. God. Yes, it, it's. Yeah. And 
it is one of my, I don't fear a lot of things, but coming in contact with a narcissist or somebody who shows those tendencies, it is still something that clenches my stomach up and makes me feel unsafe. And I, I will refuse. And so I'm so glad the three of us are together because there was so much keeping us apart and, um, and it sucked. It sucked really bad, especially three people who have, um, such a, a common villain, <laughs> like <laughs> such a common story, right? A common um, trauma. Yeah, a common yeah. trauma, like very much trauma bonding, right? So um, I'm so I'm happy we're here and we're doing this because I think we all had a lot of breakthroughs. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, pe- you know, people obviously love you and want an update, but let's start, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think, you, you tell us, was it a year ago, two years ago? You know, you've always been very open about your mental health journey anyhow. Um, mm-hmm. But when did things kind of take a shift? You you had gone offline. That was like three years ago, right? You took a break from social media for a year. Then you kind of mm-hmm. came back on. Um, so I don't know. Where do you where do you want to start? I think I'll start 2019. So January 1st, 2019, um, I miscarried in a different country, St. Lucia, surrounded by my ex-husband and his family. And I think that was, and I love Slim, right? I love the person that I had children with and um, we don't have real issues. He's a good friend of mine, but nobody wants to miscarry in a different country surrounded by your ex-husband and his family. So I think that was so traumatic and it began the cycle of back-to-back trauma, right? So that was January 1st, 2019. Then my dad- And that was was your baby with Jeff, right? With who you're with now? Yes. So it was just so, it was so much because we had plotted for this baby. Like I felt like Della, my second baby was like a save our marriage baby. (laughs) Like legitimately. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. Genuinely was like, okay, this is going to do it. It did not. Um, So Jeff and I, like this baby felt like such a love baby. It felt like we wanted this, we wanted to do it. And um, I had never miscarried before. And I know that a lot of women experience that, but I just assumed my body was going to do the work, right? Like I was like, oh, I'm good at having babies. And I didn't anticipate that. And so even more so, I didn't anticipate the circumstances, right? The, the out of the country, all those things. So that began a cycle of like, just kind of depression, I think. And there was no, I was just depressed. It made sense, right? And then 2020 popped up and my dad died at 53 um, at the beginning of a global pandemic. So he wasn't able to have a funeral. Um, We drove 19 hours to Texas. And I just remember we would try to get off the highway and it was the very beginning of the pandemic. And there were national guard, like we were trying to go to rest stops and there were national guard blocking off the exit ramps. So we were, it just felt like a apocalyptic world. And, and it was so much. And so we get to Texas, we could only have, it was a pretend funeral. There was nine of us in the room and it was just, it was horrible. Right. And, um, I just remember being like, okay, well, my dad died. I can handle anything. And like, when people say things, I'm like, I wear my dad, my dead dad around my neck. You can't really hurt my feelings, you know, like, but I was wrong. (laughs) I was wrong because, you know, you think that, you can get through anything. And I've done a really good job of proving that. But there's one thing I I recognize now is that the healthy version of me absolutely can get through anything. The sick me, when my mind starts to fail me, oh, she'll kill herself. She will die. She will not care about her children because it's not me. It's somebody totally different. And that has been a lot to grapple with, just knowing that 
so much of the last year of my life, it feels like I'm sitting in a movie theater and I'm watching somebody who looks like me. She talks like me. She walks like me. And she is not me at all. And that is terrifying. It's it's weird as hell. Yeah, it is. I don't think people really can understand what you're saying unless they've they've had a taste of it. I remember when I went through like my really bad depression, like suicidal. And it was it's like, you know that your thoughts are wrong, mm-hmm. but they feel so real. They And they are real because you convinced yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Like never in a million years do I think my children are better off without me. But this is me talking. This is me healthy, medicated. This is me. But I legitimately had gotten to a place where I was like, my kids are better off with me. Jeff deserves someone better than me. My students deserve somebody better than me. Like the world did not, I didn't belong in the world anymore. And to believe that, to full, like wholeheartedly believe that is absolutely terrifying. It terrifying is the perfect word for it. It really is. So how, so how did you come out of that? I mean, obviously you're still here. What yeah. like in that darkest moment? So what, all, what kept you from it? It kind of Claire, God bless my best friend. She's amazing. Um, so basically over the summer, shit really got real. Like I was in a complete hypomanic state, but was unaware, right? And because you don't know, like I had no idea. I was just moving. There were so many signs, like looking back on it, so many signs. I'm not a, I'm not an extreme, like I'm not an irritable person. And I hated parenting, like hated with like, and that is not who I am. I love my kids. I make songs up in the morning to wake them up. Like I love being a mom, especially a mom to these two, right? I enjoy being a partner. When I tell you Jeff couldn't do anything right, I hated the way he smelled. I hated the way he coughed. He sneezed. If he sniffed, I was like, I hated him. And none of this is normal, right? But your brain has convinced you that all of it's wrong. And so- Over the summer, it got really, really heightened. Like I moved out of my house. I lived three houses down from my family because I was unsafe and we couldn't figure it out. Um, I did a train ride where I was supposed to, you know, write my book and uh, I got on the train, not realizing I was hypomanic. So I didn't sleep for, it was probably like seven days, literally. So if you don't sleep for seven days, trust and believe that (laughs) you everything will fail you your body your mind uh, there's no rationality at this point anymore and so i remember being on the train and there was a lot of you know and then you got i got to backtrack and then i was from i'm from minneapolis so you got to think of all the racial trauma they killed george floyd in minneapolis so it was just it was so much so quick and it was trauma on top of trauma and it was it felt like it was never ending and so all of that kind of led to this past summer where I was on the train, I was writing, and I was having all of these thoughts about how I wasn't safe in the world. I didn't feel safe in my home, and I didn't feel safe in the world. So the only logical um, solution was to not be in it anymore, right? And so I had planned, and this is when you know, um, they say that I didn't know much because I had never actually tried to kill myself. I thought about it, right? And it crossed my mind. But I had an entire plan. Like I knew Chicago was the last stop on the train. I knew that after Chicago, the where I would go was back home. And I, I wasn't gonna go, like I knew I wasn't going back home. So I there was I knew that in Chicago I was gonna jump in front of a train. I knew exactly what I was gonna do. I knew how I was gonna do it. 
I knew that I was going to leave behind evidence of like how much I love the people I loved. I didn't want them to, I didn't want them to feel like they had anything to do with it because I knew that they didn't. I just also knew sick me knew that I couldn't do it anymore. Like I, I literally got to a point where I was like, I cannot do this anymore because I didn't know what was happening to me. You know, when you have no idea what's happening to you, you it's, it's almost impossible to survive that. And so that was kind of where it hit really strong and, Thank God um, there was some interventions. When I land, when I got to Chicago, I had a friend who I love so much. His name is Santino. And he is not somebody to follow up all the time. And so I felt like it was a sign from the universe. Also, I was hypomanic, so I was feeling like I was getting all the signs, right? So he messaged me and he said, I know you're only supposed to be here a couple of hours in Chicago. You should stay one night in Chicago. Stay with me, stay with um, his partner. And I was like, no, because I had a plan, right? I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. And, and I didn't respond. And he followed back up, which again, he never does. And he said, so basically, you're staying in Chicago, you can stay with me and Jess, and um, I'll pick you up from the train station. And I remember going, well, what's one day, you know, you're gonna do it. So you'll get back to the train station, and you'll do it one day. Plus, I knew Santino being Santino, I knew that I could drop all of these things in our conversation. And after I died, it would make sense to him and he would be the messenger. Wow, you really thought this all. Oh my God, I was ready. Like it was, there was no question. And so I did wind up staying in Chicago with Santino. And I remember sitting across from him and he must have known, I don't know, intuition, something, but he must have known something was so wrong because he poured so much love into me. He said, you forgot who you are. And that shit hit so like, it it was so clear to me that he was right because he was saying these things that I had forgotten. And that is what trauma will do to your brain. He was like, you, you know, you were, <laughs> he said, you, you championed women's rights on Capitol Hill. You stood up there. You told your postpartum story when people weren't talking about it. You did this, you did this. And then he got so animated and he said, you were woman of the year for a sorority. You're not even in. (laughs) I remember going, damn, I did do all that stuff. Right. But I didn't remember. I didn't remember. I didn't identify as that person anymore. I forgot all these things that I had done. And he, he kept saying like, you forgot who you are. You forgot who you are. And Let's take a quick moment and thank our banner sponsor, David Rubin. You guys, we introduced you last week to David Rubin. He did an entire podcast episode with us on narcissists. We found David Rubin through a friend of the podcast show. She said, you need to work with him. He's helped so many women in Maryland and men too. Men can deal with incredibly difficult female partners. If your spouse has been so difficult in dragging out your divorce, if you suspect they're on the spectrum of narcissism or a complete narcissist, You need to call David Rubin. He gives free consultations. MDLaws.com is the website. You can find out everything you want to know about him. He's been in practice nearly 30 years. Or you can call 301-587-8900. He specializes, too, in being affordable. 301-587-8900 to help you through your alimony, custody, or your complete divorce. And of course, check out Rubin Law Firm as well. They do wills, estate planning, and more. MDLaws.com. He was right. So I sat with that. I stayed the night there. And I remember being like, 
all right, you have a choice to make, you know, and, and like, what are you going to do? And I knew that if I went back to the train station, I would follow through despite all the love he poured into me and despite everything. And I remember getting up the next morning and I had like, it felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest because I knew like, it's go time. This is what we're doing. We've made the plan. You've dropped all these little nuggets for him to explain to your partner, your kids, all these things. Like he was well-equipped. And then I had this flash of like, there's still an out, right? And so I walked out to the living room and I said, I'm going to fly home. Can you take me to the airport? Because I knew if I went back to the train station, I was going to follow through. So I flew home. And wow. that that's kind of where, that is where the huge just eruption of everything happened. And Claire made some emergency phone calls. And I got in on a same day emergency psychiatry appointment, which never happens with a black psychiatrist who I needed. I needed a black woman. I needed somebody to understand my generational trauma, my racial trauma, my childhood trauma. I have an ACE score of 10. Okay. And that's an adverse childhood um, experience score. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. So basically there's this like, so I study trauma. It's what I do. I'm three classes away from my master's. Ow. So I'm very excited <laughs> about awesome. it. That is Thank you. So um, an adverse childhood experience score is there's a list of these things and it's, you know, did you grow up with a parent with a mental health disorder? Did you have abuse in your home? Did you this like, and that's out of 10. I have 10, wow. <laughs> all 10, every single one of them. Um, and in fact, when my, when my son passed and I was in the hospital, cause I, I was admitted during that time, I remember sliding the the questionnaire back to the doctor and she said no 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 I don't, I don't think you understand um you're supposed to say you know yes or no yes if you've experienced this and no if you haven't and I was like right I yes I did she was like all of these things and I was like yes all of them and she looked me dead in my face and she said it's a miracle you're alive and this was before any of the other stuff and so one thing I do want to tell you all, and this is like where it gets like super sad. So I just want you to know it's not pretty, but I was studying trauma, right? I was in, I'm in my master's program and they had us do a, a life timeline. So pretty much from the time you could remember um, until now. And there were a few years missing that I had no recollection of, and I couldn't understand why I was like well, I don't like why are these there these gaps here simultaneously I'm learning why gaps would appear in your memory like why so during this time which is kind of probably what spiraled into the the summer because I found this out on the train um, I was egregiously violated by a family member as a child and where I thought I lost my virginity in high school it was actually stolen from me when I was a kid and wow. your brain is magical and it will hide things from you and then occasionally that shit slips out and you're like, and it felt like my whole world was a lie. Like everything that I thought was real felt fake, all of these things. And so um, that, and then it, it just was, you guys, when I tell you it was nonstop, I, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't come up for air oh, yeah. at all. Like I couldn't find solid ground. I couldn't breathe. It was bad. It is it is a miracle yeah, that you're here today. And you know what, Danny? Like the one thing I kept thinking, like when you mentioned your friend Santino intervening and all these kind of little steps, it's like 
God had you in his hands for a reason and was, was intervening when you needed it. And the only thing I can think of is because he has this massive plan for you. You're going to do incredible things. And I fully believe these traumas we go through are for a reason. Yeah. I mean, they have to be right because you wouldn't survive them. And I I think the older I get and the more I've gone through, you know, these cliches that they always say, like, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. I remember like 10 years ago, I was like, fuck you. You know, like, <laughs> I saying that because it's dumb. But then I realized, like, had I have not lost my dad, right, I could have never survived this. But it was losing my dad that taught me really how strong I was. And it kind of set me up for this this next trauma that I was like, well, you survived your dad dying. Like, and it was like each thing really is cliche as it is. Like I really did handle all those things. And it was the trauma before that allowed me to handle the next trauma. And was the shit easy? Absolutely not. But I survived it. And, you know, Natasha, I got to tell you, I believe that. I believe that to my core. I believe that because of the mental health struggles that I've had because um, of this bipolar two diagnosis and the way that I'm able to communicate with people and connect with people. Um, I don't think it is, I think it was by design. I think that it sucks that I had to experience it, but I'm fully aware of the testimony, how powerful my story is and how it will impact and save other women um, and people in general. And so I don't take that lightly at all. Like I just don't, I don't, it is a, I feel it in my soul. And so now I'm just trying to stay safe enough to be able to tell my story and to to survive, honestly, because it's not an easy thing. The statistics of people surviving this aren't great. <laughs> like They're not. Well, even, I mean, you know, I think for people, right, that see celebrities that, that, kill themselves right it's it's so or take their own life it's so hard because people can't understand especially like I think what you just said was so powerful right in itself and I'm with you I know you're gonna do just amazing amazing things it's always been your calling but I think for people it's so hard to understand what goes wrong in your mind like you have two beautiful children you know it's like people always say that and I no one knows like twitch's situation but that comes to mind you know is like well, what could have possibly been going on in his head? And I think the way you just described everything that was happening is so important for people because people don't realize how it's like you said, you're in a movie theater watching a movie of your life and somehow you've convinced yourself, you know, and so many things are firing wrong in your brain that that life would be better off without you, you know, and, and people don't hear that enough, you know. Hero breads. Oh, my gosh. Chef's kiss. Do you love carbs? I'm obsessed. Give me a croissant. Give me a tortilla, baby, every day, slathered with some hummus. Yes, please. And then a lot of veggies, a little turkey burger in it. Okay. Um, That's my own proprietary sandwich. Thanks. (laughs) Hero Breads right now offering 10% off. Go to hero.com. Co. Enter the promo code TSFS. You are getting 10% off. Now, Hero Bread is so delicious and flavorful, soft, fluffy. In fact, so fluffy that KJ loves it, slathered with butter and cinnamon every day. They're known for their products to have zero to one grams of net carbs, zero sugar, and high in fiber. So what are you waiting for? Don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code TSFS at checkout. That's TSFS at H-E-R-O dot C-O. How ironic. 
I love this. Got a new podcast for you to listen to. Yes, I do. It's the Dr. John Delani Show. Schman and I were actually playing a clip from Dr. John's podcast because he was doing the topic of are youth travel sports ruining families? Well, Dr. John Delani has over 20 years of sitting with families and dealing with hurting people and mental health issues. He has a PhD in counseling. Delani walks alongside real people as they navigate tough decisions. And this is actually something that I really enjoy about his show. It's caller driven. I feel like I'm going to have to get a collar-driven show, Dr. John. I love this. Anyway, listen to the Dr. John Delani Show wherever you get your podcast, or you can follow the link in the description of this podcast episode. I always make it very, very easy to find my sponsors and people that I partner with. So start downloading and listening today to the Dr. John Delani Podcast. Enjoy. Ten years ago, I lost 60 pounds mindful eating, and today I have kept the weight off. I never think about food. I never count calories. Honey, I don't even use one of those darn trackers or apps. I live with food freedom, and I want that for you if you are ready and you want it. And that's where My Optimal Body comes into play. Visit MyOptimalBody.com to request an appointment, and be sure to let them know that the Sarah Fraser Show sent you so you can qualify for a free personalized assessment plus a bonus free 30-day supply of their gut repair product when you sign up for a customized plan. That is myoptimalbody.com to request an appointment. Why I wanted to partner with Dr. Applin is because he is a doctor that gets to the cellular and gut reason of why you can't lose weight and keep it off. They also work with your mental capacity as well. So many of us are emotional eaters. They address that and their clients see long-term success. If you are ready to lose weight, keep it off, and you don't want to do crazy Ozempic, myoptimalbody.com and tell them the Sarah Fraser Show sent you. Do you hear that? That is the sound of the brand new and delicious You Natural Conception for her in their juicy strawberry gummy flavored. Oh my, this is now my favorite thing to take. It's a fertility aid. If you haven't heard about them, they are unbelievable with thousands of five-star reviews on Amazon. Go and read them for yourself. And they're famous for their conception for her and conception for him formula, which Schman, my hubby, has been taking for over a month because it takes two to tango. Conception for her fertility aid is a well-researched baby. They have ingredients like ashkawanda, zinc, magnesium that can help you on that journey to have a healthy baby. So what are you waiting for? Go and order now. You're going to love it and I want to hear from you. Check out You Natural on Amazon and use code FRASER20 for 20% off Conception for Her, Conception for Him, and the Conception Bundle. That's EU Natural on Amazon or follow the link on our website for 20% off Conception for Her, Conception for Him, and the Conception Bundle with the promo code Fraser 20. That's F R A S E R. The number's two zero. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it up into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. And I, I get frustrated when people judge people who take their own lives. Like, it's it's infuriating to me because one if you're judging someone you've never been in that space that's clear like you've never been in that space so you don't actually understand and two the level of grace and compassion that should be shown to people because um 
it's not, people aren't selfish. They're actually thinking the opposite. They're thinking that they're saving their family. Mm -hmm. They're thinking that they're taking away pain from their family. They think that they're worthless. So why would they continue on in this way with their kids, their partner, all of these things. And so um, I really believe that the stigma of like, oh, people who do this are selfish needs to be eradicated so quickly because um, people who take their own lives are not being selfish. They are literally trying to save everybody around them because that the sick mind is a liar. I say it over and over again. The sick mind is not only a liar, but the sick mind is convincing so convincing, right? And I know that now because as I'm processing the last year of my life and I spend a lot of time with my therapist, with Jeff, with, you know, my best friend, Claire, and we we have these moments where I'm like, how, why? Like, and it's, I'm only six months out of the diagnosis and every single day there's a moment where I'm like, I don't understand. Like, I don't get how my mind did that. I don't get how my brain did that. I don't understand. And so if I don't understand what happened to me, I really don't want people judging me for it. Can you talk about, because I think a lot of people listening to this too, you know, and Natasha has been very open about her depression and she's been on medication, then off medication. Okay. When did you find out initially that you were depressed, right? Because you were on medication and part of this bipolar two diagnosis coming about was you were being, I, I guess you describe it as like over medicated. So, oh, yeah. so when, you know, cause I think that's, people need to hear that too, right? There are people listening to this that are maybe on antidepressants, anxiety medications, and maybe it's not right. Maybe they're being overly medicated. Yeah. Like talk to us about how that, how you found that out. Well, one, I want to say that like the pharmaceutical companies are big time in bed with medical professionals. And so everyone doesn't actually have your best interest at heart. And um, so after I lost the baby, I was put on an extremely high dose of Zoloft. But here's the thing. I didn't. Claire laughs at this because I I never considered myself a depressed person. I didn't fully understand what depression was. You know, I'm a happy go lucky person. I didn't understand that spending weeks in bed was depression. I thought I was tired. (laughs) Yeah. Legitimately. It's hard to know sometimes. You only know what you know, you know, and then, Mm -hmm. and then there were logical things that would make me sad, right? Like uh, losing a baby, my dad dying, watching George Floyd be murdered in my city. So when I was not getting out of bed, I was like, well, this is a, this is appropriate sadness, but it's, I couldn't get out of it. Right. So that was the thing. So I was over medicated on Zoloft, which was supposed to be for anxiety. And and truth be told, I wasn't anxious at all. I had no issues with anxiety. It was it was the depression that was really um, crippling. But I was originally put on Zoloft for anxiety. So once and that was right after in 2019, right after I lost the baby, then my dad died. So they were like, oh, we're going to keep you on this just because we don't, you know, there's a lot going on. Then we were in a global pandemic and they were like, we're going to keep you on this because the world is crazy and we want to make sure you stay safe. All the while, this medication was l- like literally killing me. And what were the side effects? Like, what was it doing to you being on that high a dose? I was vomiting every day, every, oh, wow. like every single day um, to the point where it became so normal for me that I didn't realize that it was every day. So um, I wound up passing out last summer and I broke like every bone in my foot, which was um, the reason I was overheating also because of the Zoloft. So when I'm in the hospital and they're like, okay, what happened 
today? Like, let's walk us through like what happened today that made you pass out. And I was like, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I was just overheating and Jeff was like, she vomited this morning. And the doctor was like, does that happen often? I was like, I don't know, like a couple of times a week. And Jeff was like every single day. And I was like, really? Because it had become so normal to me. And you, you know, like as moms, we are not always putting ourselves first, right? I have a kid with massive medical issues. So for me, it was like, this is my priority. I got to keep my kid alive, right? I, I didn't think about the crazy dose of Zoloft. I wasn't really worried about vomiting every day. I was worried about keeping my kid alive. And so as a result, I missed so much, you know, I missed so much. And um, and yeah, I thought I was getting help. I trusted the doctor I was working with who I don't at all because when I was on the train, I sent four emergency emails. What? Four. I sent four emergency emails. I said I was in crisis and I needed an emergency appointment. And the response was, she doesn't have any emergency appointments. Not, are you safe? Here's a, a not even, here's a number to call, nothing. And then the very follow-up email was about her prices going up. Are you serious? Yeah, literally her price is going up. And and then I oh. didn't, I wrote back and I was like, I once I got clear headed, I wrote back and I said, hey, I was in genuine crisis. I almost killed myself. And this is, this is not, this ain't it. Like you, this could have really been harmful and um, never got a response. And then I got a, a bill, <laughs> a bill for not even being there, just a bill. Like I, clearly I was an inconvenience and I got a bill. And so, you know, there's still a little bit of pettiness in me and I'm going to follow up with my own bill. I'm going to itemize all of the things that almost happened to me and I'm going to send it back to them and I'm going to tell them to keep their or, you know, the 175 that they're hoping to get. My life almost ended because of their lack of everything and because of them overdosing me on the medication. Good for you. Thank you. I'm not playing with them. Like legitimately, it's terrible. And I just think about the other people who they're caring for and who everybody's not as outspoken as I am, right? Everybody doesn't have the platform that I have. So I do, and I will continue to speak out. So I'm not, I don't have time to play around when it comes to my life, but also to other people's lives, you know? God, it's so hard. So was it? Yeah. Go ahead. Was Natasha. it the psychiatrist when, you know, after the train in Chicago and you flew home and Claire helped and everything, that psychiatrist that like the stars aligned and you ended up with, is she the one that figured out that this was bipolar too? Yes. Also, Natasha, let me tell you about the universe right now, because you said the stars aligned and I want yeah. to tell you the story about this. Claire was in a different state and she, she knew, like I called Claire and I was like, we got what did I say? I said, we have 30 minutes. Like, and I was, I didn't have to explain it. She knew that that's all I, all I had left 30 minutes of holding on. And I, I genuinely called her. I said, we got about 30 minutes. She didn't ask any questions. She felt it. She knew she said 30 minutes, Danielle. I said, okay. She gets off the phone. She makes the appointment. She calls me back. She's like, do I need to Uber you there? Do I need? And I was like, nope, I promise I will get myself there 30 minutes. Like I, I committed to it. So I can, um, I get to the psychiatrist's office and I told her that I think the reason why I was hanging on so hard to not getting help is because I am an extremely spiritual person and I was having a lot of signs, right? Like I was, I felt connected to God and I know people believe in God, but if you've never felt God, that's a whole different ball game. And I, I felt God. So I didn't want to I didn't want people to think I was crazy, right? So then you, I knew 
I had mental health issues. I also firmly believe that God works through me. I do believe that, right? And so I didn't want to all of a sudden have this diagnosis and people discount everything that I was saying. So I just tried to hang on, you know, but I couldn't. So I get to the psychiatrist and I tell her that. I said, I don't care what diagnosis you get me, give me, but I'm scared because I have a lot of things to teach people on a spiritual level. And I don't think people are going to believe me um, if I say I'm bipolar. And she said, well, let me tell you how I know you're special and you're chosen. First of all, I was not anticipating a psychiatrist to say anything like that. And I just looked up at her and she said, I never take appointments during the one o'clock hour. Never. She said on Friday, something told me to open up my schedule and put a 1.30 appointment on the books to the point where her secretary even said like, no, you don't do this. And she said, I'm trying to be obedient. 1.30, put it on. Claire made my appointment at 1.30. So when I went in, I sat there and I said like, I genuinely, like, I'm not going to survive this. She said, oh, God is looking out for you because you're the 1.30 appointment. And I knew I was supposed to take it. And so that for me was the first time, like, like I said, you know how I felt like there was an elephant on my chest. I felt like somebody took the elephant off. I felt like somebody saw me, heard me, recognized who I was, could feel my spirit. And, um, and she has been the, she saved me. She's been like the greatest, sorry. No, you're making me cry too. No, it's, it's amazing. It's so, it's so hard. It's like, this has been so hard, you guys. It's been so hard and, and people are so judgmental. And I was also scared because this diagnosis, like, you know, people have been so awful to the three of us in regards to Kane and just things in general. And um, I just knew people would say, oh, that makes sense. Well, that's why, you know, she's crazy and all these things. And it's not that it's, I can't control that my brain failed me, you know? And I also can't control the amount of trauma I've experienced. I, I've experienced some shit. I have been drugged through the depths of hell, but it's also why I live so intentionally because I know what it feels like to stare death in the face. And I also know that I want to live now. And so, um, and so it's really hard, but also I'm so determined. Like I'm genuinely so determined to live. Um, and I just want, I want this version of me to persist Yeah. because the other version of me scares me. <laughs> I'll like her that much. It will. I have no doubt it will. I mean, when I hear you talk about it, like I un I can feel your pain. Like I feel it. And I feel that that fear of do I want to come forward about this? Because people, the way people judged us, it's so hard to explain, but it's like you just feel like people are out for you. And as soon as you say, like as soon as I said, I'm in recovery during that awful time that I was going through and you guys yeah. were thinking I was a terrible mom and everything. Yeah, I was addicted to pills. And then it's like, now they're just going to say, oh, that's why and never take me seriously again. But I, I firmly believe I just have to believe that there's something beautiful in it that God gave us, you know, for me, it was an addiction for you. It was this awful, you know, journey you went through with your mental health until you got a diagnosis, but he gives it to the ones that he has something special for to be a vessel to then save lives of other people. And it's like, it makes me emotional because it's like, once you cross that line of fear and decide to use your voice mm -hmm. is when it all kind of makes sense. 
You know, why things had to happen because you see that then you're getting to save someone else. And just watching you cross that line of fear and coming to the other side is just as beautiful, Danny. It's beautiful. It's necessary. I can't live in fear. None of us can. And when we live in fear, Mm -hmm. we create stories. We think all these things. And like, I got rid of the stories in my head. I don't like this illness. Like I've had to change my entire life. I Mm. have a bedtime. I have a hard boundary of my no is so strong. Like if I don't want to do something, if it's going to be too late, like I say no, because my life depends on it genuinely um you you want me to stay out late can't do it sorry because sleep is um the biggest catalyst for cycling and bipolar disorder like if i don't sleep i am not a fan of working out you guys i'm working out all the time because i have (laughs) to be healthy i've read that food yeah i have it makes a huge difference all of it food therapy sleep just things i wasn't able to prioritize before there's no question about if if i can do it now now i just have to do it and it's a part of my routine because because I have to survive. Like I have to. There's so much more. And I don't want this to be the end. I want I, this is honestly probably just the beginning. Just it is. Oh, totally, totally. And this is Danielle, I, re- I remember years ago you saying one of your goals was to be, you didn't know, like therapist, social worker. I mean, I just feel like this is your calling. You know, I think what's so brave of you to share is like the childhood trauma is so hard to hear because it's like it happens to so many people and you can't control it. I'm I'm like emotional about it, but I feel for you because I think it's like, you know, you were just so little and I think so many things like come back to our childhood, you know, I mean, you have to like face all those things every day. It's really hard. And it's so hard and it comes back in the weirdest ways. I had a dream. Oh, it's so weird. I had a dream recently. Um, and it was about Della, right? And this is crazy, but this is how the brain works. And so I'm just going to share it. I've never shared it with anybody, but I had this dream and Della, who is eight years old in the dream, I took her to the doctor and um, the doctor was like, she's pregnant. And I was, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Like, you know, like what, and the way kids get period these days, it's actually possible, right? Um, and so I I remember going like, no, like, what do you mean? And then I, I went to Della in the dream and I said, baby, did something happen to you? Like, please tell me, like, I need to protect you. Tell me. And she tells me this story about how at a birthday party, she was drugged into a dog cage and she told this boy to stop, but it didn't. And I woke up you guys sobbing. Like I couldn't breathe. And I, I, I jumped, it was, and it's like, 5 30 in the morning at this point and Jeff comes out of the bathroom and he sees me and he's like what happened it's 5 30 in the morning (laughs) what could have possibly happened and I told him the dream and he said babe it's you yeah it's you and I just remember like sobbing and I was like why didn't they protect me like no why and he said I don't know babe but you're safe now and I'm gonna protect you and my therapist was saying like my brain is trying to heal and it's trying to put pieces together and my kids are safe. Right. And, and so it has just been the weirdest process of going through these crazy memories that have popped up that I did not remember. It's from, so I met Claire when I was 12. Right. And she knows my entire life from 12 to now 38. Right. She knows my entire life. She knows nothing from under 12 because I blocked out so much of it. Like we'll have a conversation and she'll be like, Danielle, 
I had no idea. And I'm like, yeah, like none. And so um, I'm going back through the first like 12 years of my life. And I realized that none of it was normal. Um, And so I feel like I've done a really good job of surviving um, my own life, which sounds pretty tough, right? I haven't, I realize now that I have never really lived. I've survived my entire life. That is such a powerful statement. And I don't want to survive your own life. I had to survive my own life. Yeah. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I'm so glad that I have broken a million generational curses. Like my babies are safe and they negotiate with me because they're not worried about, you know, standing in a corner for three days. You know, they're like, there's these things that happened to me as a child that I thought just happened to kids. And I'm recognizing now that none of it was normal and, and none of it was safe. And, um, and I'm transmuting a lot of pain and, and that is the goal. And I don't, and my kids are just, I, I'm so grateful that my kids are safe, like genuinely, and that I am not the parent that I, the parents that I had. And I also show my parents a lot of grace because you only, you can only do better when you know better. And so it's these cycles of trauma passed down and passed down and passed down. And yeah, what they went um, through, I'm sure was awful too. I can't even imagine. My dad, my dad's mom had babies at 13 and 14. So when you're raised by a child. It's hard. Yeah, it's so hard. Like, I mean, horrible. Right. I mean, your baby, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you talked about reactions, and I think that was really good because obviously we've all had – and Natasha and I recently got a reaction of people saying, you know, you guys should stop podcasting together and stop talking about Kane or, you know, anything that happened in the – get over it. What has been the reaction from people? Like, you know, I mean, you – I think to a lot of people don't talk about abuse in childhood because – you know, a lot of these people are never held accountable. They go on, they're your aunts, your uncles, a cousin, yep. a sibling, you know, a sibling. A lot of people are very ashamed and embarrassed. What's been the reaction from your own family members? And then, you know, you've you've been bravely putting it out on social media. Not that we give a fuck about the reaction, but I do think it's important to talk about because other people need to know they're going to get backlash, but yeah. you got to keep telling your story. I think um, I had a really... I had a breakthrough moment with my mom when I, you know, the memory started to come back and I, I went to my mom and I wasn't looking for permission to tell the stories, but hmm. I almost wanted to give her like a heads up that I had remembered things and that me being me couldn't just sit on them because I know if I've experienced this and I can't be the only one, right? Like there's probably more people who are stuck in, um, in a place where they can't tell the stories. And I remember her saying like, which shocked me because I didn't anticipate my mom saying anything like this. And she said, black families have been dealing with this for generations, tell your story, say it. And I, it's like sucked the air out of my lungs because that is not, it showed my mom's growth really because Mm I didn't anticipate that reaction. I anticipated me having to be a little defensive and going like, well, I'm telling it no matter what. Mm. And she said, you got to tell the stories, Danielle, because because it's been hidden for so long and and it ha- like we have to get through it. Everyone has to get through it. Everyone needs to be held accountable. Um, people are hiding in sadness and trauma. And if we don't talk about it, we can't heal it. And I was mm. like, huh. 
awesome. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah, wow, yeah. Thank you. Well, that's awesome. See, and I do think that's what telling your story, right? It surprises you because sometimes the yeah. people you think are going to be the most resistant are the ones that are like, it impacts them, you know? And also I, I found that, um, you know, people, sometimes people ask me, well, what do you think other people think about, you know, it's their story too. And I'm like, right. And they can tell their side. Go ahead. But I'm going to tell mine. I'm going to stand in my truth and they are free to stand in their truth. And we can meet in the middle if we have to. But at the end of the day, if you didn't want me to say bad things about you or you didn't want me to write bad things about you, then you should have fucking been better. Mm. That's it. That's what it all comes down to. I mean, it's it's not living in fear. It's not living in that that hesitation of what is someone else going to think or how is, you know. Is this going to make them look bad? It's like, screw it. You have to just own your own truth. And that is that is like such the breakthrough moment that takes you from just surviving life to thriving in life. Oh, yeah. And I've gotten to a place where I'm not living in constant fight or flight. And it mm -hmm. is such a good feeling. So when I'm around someone or I'm in a situation that is fucking my nervous system up, I know it's not for me. I know the person is not for me. I know the place is not for me. I know the circumstances are not for me because when you've lived in it for so long and you taste a little bit of what it doesn't, like when my nervous system regulated, I was so shocked because I thought that was my normal. Like the yeah, yeah. constant pit in my, like something in my stomach, mm -hmm. sweating all the time, heart racing. Like I genuinely thought that that was just the way my body worked. So to be in a place where I'm completely aligned, I'm so grounded, I am, I can, I can have a conversation without having any ego, any defensiveness. I'm just like, oh, well, I hold myself accountable. So I hold everybody accountable around me, but I am just, I, I, I wish I could really like accurately describe what it feels like to not be in fight or flight. Um, and I can't, but what I do know is that I'm so fucking grateful. It's just a, it's just different. It's different. Yeah, it's like shocking because you get so used to living in the trauma. Mm -hmm. Or like, do you know that your body actually seeks out because so because my I I was constantly living in fight or flight. When my body did start to calm down, my body was like, "What the fuck? We don't do this. We're not calm. We need more trauma." Yeah, search out trauma or like search out things to to almost get you back into your normal state, which isn't normal at all. Um, and so retraining myself to not dive in, I, I used to think I was putting fires out, but I was actually throwing gasoline on them. <laughs> you do, you think like, oh, yeah, no, but it's like, you don't have to run into every fire. I am not a fucking firefighter. Like, no, <laughs> I don't need any of that. And so I've, I've learned to pull back. I don't need to be the hero. Um, I don't need to involve myself in everything and it doesn't feel selfish. It feels like it feels right. Yeah. I have one question for you, Danny, before we kind of wrap things up. Um, you know, we I've told my story. Sarah's told her story about all of our experiences with Kane and with the Kane show and how we're trying to kind of see it in in grace in hindsight a little bit and and let go of the resentment and the anger. You were justifiably so, so angry about everything that he did and everything that that company did. Do you feel like you've let go of that resentment or been able to find forgiveness or grace 
for him and for them? Or does it still hold on to you? No. And I'm so like, when I tell you, when people talk about forgiveness is for you and not for other people, I believe that to my core. Also, this is going to rock your world, but if anybody's going to understand it, it's going to be the two of you. Um, Right before Kane died, he started popping up in my dreams. I dreamed about him for three weeks. You never told me that. I know. I know. Um, You were, you know, you, your kids have just lost their dad. Like, yeah, yeah. So it it was just a lot. Um, But I was waking up and I kept saying, Jeff, like, why is he in my dreams? What is happening? I hadn't thought about him for years. And in that way, I hadn't like I he wasn't in my, you know, he just wasn't there. And um, this is what I when I say, like, I really believe in like spiritual things and things like that. And it it was a couple weeks and I had no idea he was sick or anything had happened to him. And um, I dreamed about him the night. Scotty Davis called me, another radio person, and called me in the morning or t- called me back to back. And I was like, something's wrong. And I instantly knew that it had to do with Kane. And then I finally called him back and he told me that Kane passed. And I remember him saying something about he had been in the hospital for a while. And yeah, he was in the hospital for a couple of weeks after it happened. Precisely. And for a couple of weeks, he kept popping into my dreams. And I think that there is such a thin veil between life and death. And I think that there's a way that our spirits leave our body sometimes and they do things. And I genuinely believe that. And I think it's been part of the reason why I've been able to let things go. Um, I believe that he visited me. I do. And I think that he wasn't mean in my dreams. He didn't scare me in my dreams. And I had gotten to a point, it was like three weeks. It was like three consistent weeks of him just being in my dreams. And I would wake up and I wasn't angry or I didn't have this awful feeling. I didn't want to throw up all the time. I just kept saying like, Jeffy just keeps popping up in my dreams. Like what is happening? And um, it probably was the most peaceful interactions with Kane that I had over like years, but it happened in my dreams. And so it allowed me um, space to really find forgiveness. And even if it was just my brain playing tricks on me, and I don't believe that at all, I believe that I believe he was aware of the harm he caused because at the end of your life, you are very aware of the things you've done. Um, And I think he was sorry. I do. And so I'm going to hold on to that. It doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt sometimes. And it doesn't mean that I have to accept all the things that happened to me, but, but, um, acceptance and forgiveness are not the same thing. And for the longest time, I just had gotten to a place where I locked it down. Um, and that those three weeks of visits <laughs> allowed grace and allowed some forgiveness. And I just saw things differently. And, um, yeah, I never told anybody that except Jeff. And we were so, and when Scotty said he had been in the hospital for weeks, the phone fell out of my hand. Like I was on the phone. He said, Danielle, he was in the hospital for weeks. And I literally dropped the phone. And I just remember being like, oh my God. Um, and so, yeah, I found a lot of peace in it. I'm, I'm still shocked about a lot of the things that happen. I'm still angry with giant media corporations who fucking knew they knew they knew all along they all knew um but i i genuinely believe in karma 
And so they will, they'll get whatever they get coming. People are smart enough to figure this out and and they will. You know, I, I don't, I don't know when you and I talked, if I told you this, but it's just like, I have goosebumps right now. Like you were talking about that kind of thin veil between life and death. And I don't know if you knew this, but those like couple of weeks that he was in the hospital after the first day that he went in, he FaceTimed with the girls. And that was the last time he was conscious and aware. He was for two weeks, he wasn't able to speak or communicate in any way that made sense. And it's like he was teetering on that line until, you know, his body gave out on him. And like, uh, I don't know. It, people may think this is just poo-poo and crazy, but I, I do believe in that. And I I want to believe in that he was, when he was going, you know, between that state, he was visiting you and, and saying he was sorry. And maybe I just want to believe that, but I do. Honestly, if it's what brings you peace, if it brings me peace, then that's good enough for me, you know? Um, yeah. And it's so crazy because like he was not a monster in any of the dreams like I heard is like laugh and like these moments that you know I'm really good at absolutes where it's like if it was bad it was all bad right like I I I jump into if it was bad it was all bad or you know I don't leave room for the longest time I was like radio sucked I hated it but I realized like I was really fucking good at it and I did some incredible things with it um but that was the cane that was in my dreams. It was it was the one I met the first year. The honeymoon phase of that first year really sucked the me. The love bombing? The love bombing was crazy. And so um, that first year, it, that was kind of the cane that popped up um, into my dreams. And whether that was my mind, heart, and soul saying, like, it wasn't all bad. Like, you get yeah. to have, you can hold on to some of the good, too. And in knowing that it wasn't all bad, what I had to remind myself is even a really bad person isn't all bad. Um, and that is where I was like, oh, okay. And and the grace was able to be given and and healing. A lot of healing came from those damn dreams. There's so, so much healing amazing. that comes and when you finally let go of the anger enough to find some grace for the other person, you end and, up healing you find, yourself. Yeah, you find peace for yourself. You extend yeah. the grace to other people and you realize you find peace for yourself and peace is so necessary. Oh, my makeup was so good today, Danny. And you've just <laughs> so good. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I know we, we have kind of a limited time. You have to come back because we have to talk about the kids. We have to talk about Jeff. I mean, Jeff is like yeah. the MVP here. I mean, you're the MVP, Can I but tell he's you like how like runner up. Envious I am of this yes, man that you like. You that is man. a man, Danny. It is a man. And you know what the worst part about it is, you guys? He hung, he clinged, (laughs) and I pushed, and I was mean. I was a demon. And I know that now because I can see that girl. You know, I'm watching her on the movie screen, and I'm like, oh, my God. And that man refused. He refused to be pushed away. He refused to let me die. He refused so many things. And um, he every day there's like a moment where one of us pauses and he's like, so happy to have you back or so good. I go, it's so good to be home. And he's like, it's so good. I'm so glad you're home. And Ugh. even the kids, the kids will say it. They'll be like, you know, it's so good that we're all back as a family oh, and all of these things. And um, I just like melt your heart. Oh, it does. And mostly I just, I'm beyond grateful that he, 
when I forgot who I was, he remembered, mm. right? Like he, he held on to remembering who I was and remembering like what I brought to our family. And, and he, he saved our family. It wasn't me. It definitely wasn't me. He saved our family. He kept it together. Even when I was pulling it comp- like thread by thread, pulling it apart. And so I could ask you a million more questions. You have to come back. Oh, I know. What, what's next? I mean, you you seem like you 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 know you're in this wonderful spot after just years of of struggle. I mean, what do yes. you want? You're so close to getting your master's. Um, you know, the kids look like they're doing great. Um, yeah. What What's kind of next? Um, I think that when I'm going to finish school, I only have a couple of classes left, and that will be really nice. I'm in this uh, writing collective. I got picked to be in this writing collective with um, a best-selling author. She had hundreds of applicants and only picked 20, and I got in. You're an amazing um, writer. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, and I got in off of a writing sample, right? And so I finally realized that writing isn't just something I'm good at. It's It's what I'm supposed to do. I'm a storyteller. I'm supposed to tell stories. And I tell stories in a way that people really understand um, that they can, it connects with people. And I, I'm walking in my purpose when I put words together, whether that be talking, um, whether that be writing, I'm good with words, but I'm more than good with words. Like I'm, it's magic for me. It's my magic. And so I'm going to continue to do um, writing. I'm going to speak. I'm manifesting that by the time I'm 40, I will be on some of the biggest stages telling people about um, my mental health journey and how they can survive their own struggle. And I'm going to um, put out books. There's a, a book I'm working on right now. And it's there's a thin line between magic and trauma. And, um, and that's that's my project right now. And I believe it to my core. Like I have struggled immensely, but once I started to heal my trauma, I was able to access my magic and that's where I am now. And so I'm doing it and I want to write books. I want to help people. I want to, um, I want to survive. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's perfect. Where do you want people um, to go? Where I don't know if you have like a new website yet or anything. Like what, what I do. Oh, you- well, I want them to follow my writing. So um, can I message you or tell yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, no. my Instagram is empathy and eyebrows, right? And then my um, blog that I write on now that I'm consistently writing on because I I need to because it is the it's what I need to do, yeah. right? So that is on my. If you look at my Instagram page right now, it's Miss Danielle. Ryan rights.substack.com. Um, and that's where people can follow my writing support. I want people to support my writing. I feel like I've been giving away shit for free for decades and now <laughs> it's like, I'm not doing it anymore. Pay me. <laughs> yeah. We hear you. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yes. We very much. <laughs> yes. Well, Natasha, right. have fun doing crafts, um, uh, with the baby and thanks Sarah. Thank you so much for doing oh, this. this Danny. Awesome. Like, yeah, I feel like, I don't know. You've been like on I like, our like. I met your spirit. I saw your spirit. I felt your pain, and I felt so much joy and hope. And just like I'm fucking proud of you, and I'm excited for you. And thank you so much. I don't know. I'm proud too. I'm proud of me. Let me tell you, I'm proud. I'm excited. I'm ready for. I keep seeing all these things where it's like Oprah at 40. She hadn't done this. Harrison Ford. I saw, was, yes, oh, I yes, saw that on I your love, Instagram. Yeah. Harrison Ford was working as a carpenter at 40. I was like, well, shit, I'm right on time. Yeah. <laughs> 
right on time. I saved, I saved that when you posted <laughs> that. I was like, oh thank God. you. Okay. Yeah, I've arrived. We're okay. We're going to be all right, ladies. Yes, oh, we my are. God. Thank you for this update, friend. You Seriously, you've been on our minds and in our hearts. Like We've just been thinking about you. So you have to come back and, and talk about even other things that, that have been going on. But this is great. It's really the beginning. Yeah, it is. I love you both so much. Bye. Bye, ladies. Love you. love you. See you. Love you.